Welcome to A Pine with Shoney B coming to you from London. On the podcast, we've never talked really about fashion, I don't think, over all the episodes we've had. And today we're going to talk about fashion with a great guy who has is an icon and a, a fashion guru who, who runs a company called the Contemporary Wardrobe Collection. He's the guy to go to if you want to know about fashion and how it has impacted on society. He used to be a mod and has a wardrobe collection upstairs, which is gargantuan the biggest store I've ever seen, full of old clothes and jackets and cool things. He also founded the Horse Hospital, and that's where his, his uh, collection is located, and we're actually recording in the Horse Hospital. And I'm welcoming Roger Burton. How are you, sir? Morning. Yes. Hi, Sean. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. We have this lovely building we're in. Tell me about the Horse Hospital. What's it, was it actually a place where horses got sick? It was, actually, yeah. We um, came across this building 25 years ago. When I was looking for somewhere uh, new to store my clothes, mm. lease had expired on the old building, and somebody mentioned this building, and we we got the keys to have a look at it, and um, there was a sort of rumour that it had been a horse hospital. However, it wasn't until ten or fifteen years later, when uh, when we were having a battle with the owners about uh, redevelopment, that my daughter and I did a thorough kind of. Um, uh, research on the building mm. and discovered that it actually was a horse hospital. It was originally built in 1797 wow. by a gentleman called James Burton with the same surname, no which was a bit spooky. No relation whatsoever. He was the biggest builder in London at that time, mm -hmm. 1797. He built this entire area. So we're in Russell Square, Russell right Square in the centre. Yeah. And, um, so it was uh, probably the Queen's horses, was it? No, it wasn't. No, no not at all. No. Because we thought it was uh, originally it would would be attached to either the military or, or some big house or something, yeah. but no, not at all. It was for cab drivers, and so it was like a service station basically. Yeah. I mean, they never did anything more serious than stomach, mouth, and Hooves. legs and feet, yeah. you know, and that was it. You know, anything more serious than that, and then they were kind of put down. But um, it's a beautiful old building. It, it retains many of its uh, original features. It's moulded uh, concrete floor. Yeah, amazing. And it had a space for twelve horses on each floor. And the unusual thing is, it's about it's got internal ramps. And yeah. um, we took on the entire building as as a project. It had been a printer for a hundred years. It was derelict probably for ten years. The roof had all caved in. There was like pigeons flying about, ivy everywhere. And this horrible sort of sticky substance on the floor, which turned out to be printing ink. And it took oh. us a good three or four months just to, to make the place habitable. So you fixed it up yourself? We fixed it well up, done. yeah. Well right, done. Me and my staff. And um, and then we moved the collection of clothes in. Because we needed, we needed quite a bit of room. We got, well, upwards of 20,000 garments up, up there. Mm. And um, decided to use the uh, the other space as a, an, an art gallery. But in order to, for us to announce the fact that we'd moved to this building, I, I had quite a large collection of um, punk clothing that I'd bought from Vivian Westwood and various collectors. And so we basically had a retrospective exhibition of, of all this punk clothing. Mm. And um, that was in 1993. Which was massively successful. There was, uh, you know, we had loads and loads of people to see it, and I ended up taking the 
the exhibition to Japan and it was even more successful yeah, out there. Right. And this kind of set a precedence for the building. I've always had this sort of punk kind of ethos, as it were, mm. DIY. And, and, and so I've encouraged untrained artists and uh, because I was untrained myself to do things here, basically. Well, it's wonderful considering its location and long may it continue to be oh, kept as, a, as, a, as, a, <laughs> yes, as a, a community a thing that it is. So you have this 20,000 co- <laughs> massive collection upstairs. You started your life as a collector, not of clothes. But tell me about you were, you were born on a farm, is that right? That's right. I was born, my parents were farmers up in Leicestershire, okay. uh, in a little village called Burton Overy, another <laughs> weird thing. No, no relation. <laughs> no relation, yeah. It's quite a common name, isn't it? Richard Burton, no relation. No relation. Burton's biscuits, no, no, no relation. No, 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 sadly, no. But yeah, no, I, I um, left school when I was 15, went to work on the farm. My dad rented a farm, I think it was about 200 acres you know, cattle and sheep mm. and a bit of arable and mm. so on and so forth. But he, he he died when I was quite young. I was 11, in fact. Oh, no. So basically, that we had to give up the farm. But because that was the only thing I knew, when I left school at 15, I went to work for a local farmer. But it was a time when... 1964, when there was, there was a great interest in clothing, and I'd, I'd gone to school in a suburb of uh, Leicester called Oadby, which was, Leicester was a very rich city, in mm. fact it was the richest city in Europe really? at that time, through its hosiery and boot and shoe trade okay. and so on, and so everything that was available in London you could get in Leicester as well, and there were some great clubs there and so on, mm. so all my mates, they were all kind of, you know, dressing in this latest mod style and the I Beatles wanted, of course would have been yeah of course and yeah, and, 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 yeah and I wanted a bit of that but of course I was working on the farm like getting four or five pounds a week mm. and um, having to work extra hours just to make up the money and so on but um, I, lo- I loved the life and I stuck it out for a, a couple of years and then eventually I thought okay you know, this is crazy. I'm still earning five pounds a week and my mates are earning 25 pounds a week. Yeah. I'm going to get a proper job. Yeah. So I got a job in a factory driving a crane <laughs> uh, in, a, in, in a, a, a company in, in Leicester that built earth moving and crushing materials. Yeah, right, those are the isn't that? Yeah. yeah, and so I got, um, I got a job there and stuck that out for a couple of years and then thought, you know what? I need to be free. I need to be so. I, Were you I, creative as well as a kid, or do you remember? Yeah, I, I used to draw a lot. Right, okay. definitely used to draw a lot, yeah. uh, and I was always kind of doing DIY stuff. And it coincided with my mum. We'd managed to some. Sure, she'd managed to somehow buy the farmhouse, mm-hmm. but it was way too big. You know, it was only her and me that were living there, and I was about to move, and she she wanted to downsize get a little little cottage somewhere mm. of course it was full of antique furniture and antiques and stuff mm. that had accumulated over the years was it a family farm through generations yeah yeah right, yeah right. and so i started to um uh restore some of this stuff and mm. sell it off you know mm. like to friends and neighbors and i think we put some stuff in auction and so on and so forth and i was very interested in antiques in general so I was doing that as a sort of sideline and, uh, you know, I was cleaning windows and mowing lawns and mm. delivering coal and chopping logs and turkeys at Christmas. And, Do you remember you know, it being a happy time? 
It was a fabulous time, yes. Yeah. It was a really good, uh, yeah, I had a nice girlfriend and it was all, you know, I was still into the clothes and the music and, yeah, it was great. It was really, I had a, I had a really good time. And then um, I actually got a stall on Leicester Market, first of all doing sort of antiques and stuff. And then there was a lot of interest in, uh, after, after the mod thing had kind of fizzled out around 1966, there was... Obviously, the next thing to come in was the hippie thing, and I didn't really want to be a hippie. I didn't, you know, I didn't didn't really appeal to me. I, lo- yeah. I loved the music, but I didn't yeah. like the look of it. And so, um, there was a local band called Family who um, started dressing in all this kind of nineteen thirties gangster gear. Mm. And I thought, oh, I'll do a bit of that. Spin stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And Leicester Market was a great place to buy it. Yeah. And so. Um, I really got into that look and um, me and my girlfriend used to dress up in like 1930s stuff, you know, and, 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 and all, all that, that stuff would have been coming in from Chicago and New York with it from just boats going over and back at the time. Well, no, no mostly no? it was English stuff. Oh, it wasn't? Okay, I mean, okay. at, at that time. The London spiv, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 Spats yeah. It was, um, you know, uh, pre-war and, and post-war kind of demob suits yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Bit of American stuff. Mm. And... Um, yeah, I really kind of, you know, lived, I lived a life. I got really interested in vintage cars and bought, you know, bought a 1936 Humber, dressed it up with white wall tyres and it had running boards, you know. I thought it was like Al Capone driving yeah. about. And it's stuff your girlfriend like Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I eventually I got a, um, a, a shop in Leicester uh, and de- decided to open this antique shop called Pioneer mm. Antiques. And this must have been like 1969, I guess. And okay. it was it was the time when strip pine was all the rage right. and old advertising signs yes. and pub mirrors yeah. and all that business. So I set up this shop and did all that. And, and so I you're used about 20, are you at this stage? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and I used to have... Um, you're a big entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> I used to have a, a rail of vintage clothes, you know, mm-hmm. 1930s yeah. stuff and... Um, it, it really kind of was a bit ahead of its time for, for Leicester. Mm-hmm. But what happened was dealers used to come up from London and buy the furniture and the old advertising. And, you know, I'd, I'd spend most of the week traveling around, tearing down old advertising signs from buildings around the around the Midlands and the, and the North and, so, and then selling them to, you know, these, these dealers that would come up at the weekends. And then... I suppose I've been doing this for like three or four years and I was traveling backwards and forwards to Birmingham and there was there, there used to be something called the rag market in Birmingham which yeah. was like a, a weekly thing where I'd go and buy clothes and uh, I met up with this guy over there who was, who'd been a mod as well and we were the same sort of age and we ended up going to partnership. He had a stall in, in a flea market over there and um, we were, you know, doing the same sort of thing. We thought we'd combine our forces and um, some people from Leicester that I'd known had gone into partnership in Le- in London mm-hmm. and opened up a, um, a shop called Acme Attractions, the basement of Antiquarius, which was the place to buy your, your vintage uh, clothes and objects and so on. They'd started this thing and they were selling vintage jukeboxes and vintage clothes, and they were doing rather well. This would be... A, probably 1974 or five. Mm-hmm. And anyway, 
They asked us if we could supply them with, you know, a regular stream of, of clothes. So I started to go back to the old places where I was buying my gangster suits and mm. stuff. And I, there was a store in, in Leicester called Wakefields, which was an old Army-Navy store. Mm. Twice a year, they would always, on, on the pavement, they would have a, uh, a rail of, uh, like, demob suits and stuff. And yeah. I, I just, anyway, I went in there one day and I said to the manager... Look, have you got any more of these suits? You know, because we'd be interested in taking them off your hands. And um, he was a bit reluctant to start with, but eventually he took me upstairs and there was like, a room just stacked with cardboard boxes of brand new old stock, you know, dead stock clothing. Yeah, yeah. Menswear, mostly menswear. Sh um, shirts, ties, suits, jackets, trousers. It was mostly for workmen, basically, yeah, yeah. you know. Anyway, these started to go around, down really well what so we'd we'd load up with all this stuff and drive down to the king's road and sell a bunch off to our mates in the antiquarius but then other shops on the king's road started to get interested as well so we started selling to them and and every friday we'd go down there and open up the back of the van and people would like queue up to buy all this dead stock so you're building a bit of an empire and well the demand was quite strong actually and, and then we started selling internationally this Japanese couple got to hear about us and they were interested in taking stuff to Japan they got three shops in Tokyo right. and they'd take anything we'd got Shinjuku and, and that's right yeah, yeah. yeah and so we started to um, think oh well we need to be finding more of this stuff and so my partner and I discovered that the old Wakefield store in, in Leicester, mm. there was 90 branches of them around oh. the north and the Midlands. So we decided to visit every single one and hope that they would come up with the goods. You know, one, most of them did. Did you think of buying them? Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bought Wakefield, a reverse takeover. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and it got us very interested in in northern towns and mm. particularly places like leeds which was a big suiting manufacturer back in the day and and then one day i found because i used to i don't know i was a real purist at the mm. time you know you had to look the part you know but explain to my overseas listeners what a mod was back then well i mean a mod i suppose back in you know in 64 66 yeah. you know one would there were different categories of mods. Yeah. There was the well-known kind of scooter, Fred Perry, Parker-wearing yeah. mod. But I was more interested in wearing a suit because it was a big thing for me to, to be able to buy a suit. And so I'd wear like a mohair suit, uh, maybe a button-down shirt or a tab collar shirt and a slim tie. Always had a pocket handkerchief, you know, raincoat over the arm. Couldn't yeah. afford a suede coat. Oh, I desperately wanted a suede yeah, coat. Yeah. So that was the look that I went for. And then in in, in, in a more casual state, I'd wear shrink-to-fit Levi's, yeah. you know, Lee, denim jacket, 501s, desert boots and that. Well, we have to thing. say the 501s are probably the most enduring and iconic piece of men's fashion. Well, Absolutely. I've just been involved in um, curating a mod exhibition up in my hometown of Leicester at the museum. Right. It was interesting because I've been doing a series of talks up there, walking around the show and explaining stuff to people. Of course, one of the things I talk about at Levi 501, yeah. there was a shop in, in Leicester, strangely enough, called The Irish, mm -hmm. Irish Manufacturing Company. But they were the first 
shop in Leicester in 1963 to import shrink-to-fit Levi's. Really? Everybody had to have a pair. I know, you, the, I know the guy who runs Levi's in, Amer- in America. Oh, really? Head, I mean, I think, I think he still does. Chip Berg is his name. Oh, okay. All and, right. Uh, well, here's an interesting little story for, for him, yeah. if he's listening. John, anyway, his name was. We used to know him as John Irish. He came along to one of my talks, and I was explaining about, you know, the Irish um, manufacturing selling the first Levi's. And he said, oh, I've got something to add to that. He said... Um, uh, yeah, we were the first people to do it, and uh, and they were they were selling like hot cakes, until one day this young girl came back, uh, came in, and she said, "I bought this pair of uh, Levi's and I shrunk them, and I can't get in them, shit, because I I should have." She you overshrank know. them. Well, no, she's supposed she, to wear them. You're supposed to buy the next size up and yeah. shrink down to your size. Okay. And she somehow missed that, and um, so she bought this. She brought them back. She wanted her money back. And he said, well, I'm not sure about that. He said, but uh, anyway, he had to think about it. And he thought, well, okay, well, maybe I can sell them. I can just put them on, you know, as, as ready shrunk. There was so much interest in this pair of jeans that he, him and his assistant went down to the local laundrette. And I'm talking 1963 yeah, here. They went down to the laundrette with 100 pairs of Levi's right. and chucked them in the laundrette and pre-washed them. And he said, you know what? They sold just like that. For more you know, money, they were, they, Yeah. And, so, um, so Levi's didn't come up with that idea? No. Wow. No. Wow. Well, no, well, that was, that, that was just... Because, you know, the most famous... I worked in advertising for most of my life. The most oh, famous, really? Yeah, the most famous, iconic ad campaign out of Britain was probably the Levi's. Yes. And one of, and one of the most famous ads was Nick Cayman getting into the baths. Absolutely, to, yeah, yeah, fit, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. But, yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I mean, we, we, we will need to talk at some stage about the impact that the East had on, on, on your business and on all of this sort of um, uh, manufacturing of clothes. But I do remember a story which was, you know, they make a lot of the jeans now in India, in yeah. massive factories, sweatshops basically, yeah. and in China. And this idea that they would make a perfect pair of jeans and then they ripped them up and <laughs> destroyed them. And yeah. the Indians are going, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I've just made a perfect pair of pants and you're wrecking them on me, you know? <laughs> Oh, no, 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 totally. Those yeah. Westerners, you know. Yeah, yeah. They've got yeah. holes in them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, those Japanese sort of purists, you know, recreating the original yeah. 501s yeah. In, in the original styles. and yeah. Because, you know, 501 went through many variations Design in, changes, in style. Yeah. But... Um, so the bands, so, the, so you, had, you had mods, as you just outlined, you, have, you had, I suppose, rockers and teds. And to what extent did the clothes get found by the gangs or did the ga- clothes find the gangs, if you know what I mean? Because I remember there's a great story in a book called The Tipping Point about hush puppy shoes, yeah. which, as you know, are extremely ordinary and yeah. kind of Clarks-ish. But yeah. there was a band, in Chica- a gang in Chicago in the sort of 80s or late 80s who were the start of rap and stuff like that. And they were looking for some fucking thing to wear that was going to make them look, give them an identity. And they yeah. picked this ridiculous, you know, square, horrible pair of shoes. Yeah. And they just started buying them so that they would all wear them. And in fact, I don't think Hush Puppies realized 
why the spike in sales was happening. Oh, our, our advertising's working. You know, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one yeah. guy who went, "We're going to wear those. We're going to wear those shoes. Yeah. They're going to be our shoes." Yeah, yeah. Was was that? Do you think it developed that way, or was it just pure chance? Or yeah, I mean, very much so. I mean, it, you know, we, you know, you were very influenced by what your peers were wearing. Even though you didn't want to look quite exactly the same, you wanted to look within that vein, certainly yeah. during the mod period. And I, I think that has been true right the way through, you know, all these different kind of fashion mm. movements. Um, I remember doing a music video um, for um, Kanye West 10 years ago now, when he first started mm. uh, in, in Los Angeles. And there was, we had these different kind of. Um, sinners as it were you know that, that we had to portray and there was you know prostitute there was a down and out guy and this these gang bangers mm-hmm. basically from the from the um uh, the crips and the bloods yeah, that sort yeah. of uh, aspect and i got talking to this one guy this kid you know who was um he, who was a reformed gangster yeah, and yeah. um but he took me to this place in downtown la where they Kids all bought their clothes, mm-hmm. and basically it was it was a, it was like a workwear company. And they all wore the same, you know, different colors. But and they wore the jeans at half mast. Exactly, yeah. Get a belt, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and 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 an old style of slipper they used to wear, like an old person's slipper. But they all kind of got into this whole look. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. Um, I suppose it makes you stand out from yeah. other other gangs or yeah. whatever, but it's it's a fascinating uh, and the basketball t- singlets and stuff like yeah, that. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I mean, do, do do you spend a lot of your time trying to just keep on this wave? Yeah, I, I like you're I, decked out, and you're you're wearing just for those who are listening. Converse, <laughs> your 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 U.S. Army Converse. Uh, I got Converse the, Dickies. Yeah, U.S. Army top. Yeah, um, t-shirts. I um, I do a lot of research. I bought out a book uh, last year yep. uh, called Rebel Threads. Rebel Threads, you can find a link um, to it at the bottom of the podcast. Go buy it. It's a great book. It's um, which which traces the history of uh, of rebellion through clothing, basically starting with the Zoot Suit riots in um, in Los Angeles in the thirties and forties, yeah. and and going through to punk. I think Zoot. Zoot suits need to be coming back soon. Oh, they're the most amazing yeah, look. Tremendous. Yeah, there was um, there was a resurgence, I suppose. What nineteen eighty two? Um, yeah, some of the there was there was a new was, wave. Yeah, bands were exactly. Yeah, yeah, Bali and um, Blue Rondo a la Turk yeah. and and the Beat. They used yeah. to wear them. In fact, one of the first. Bands I ever dressed was with a beat, uh, and a guy called Rankin Roger, who just mm. recently died. He was. I'm in demand. I am the he, beat. He was. He, <laughs> he was. He was on the cover of uh, a Face magazine, yeah. and I put him in a zoot suit. And the Face that. magazine just come back. Face magazine just come back. I haven't seen it yet. Neither have I. But yeah. yeah, I used to buy it all the time. It's great. Well, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm funny now. I'm just selling them all. <laughs> all my I collection. I had a whole collection as well. <laughs> I, I, I think I threw them out. Yeah. And like I had like. Eight years worth or something. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. So your business was was it, it was kind of os- osmotic the way you kind of followed the money, I suppose, or followed the trends. And, I just happened, I think I just happened to be sort of in, in, in the yeah in the right place at the right time. But then of course what happened was punk came along, yeah. nineteen seventy five, 
slowly but surely my business started to drop off you know the customers were like you know we want this new punk look we don't want you know and so I got I, so we're drain pipes and kilts and well everything had to be black and yeah. zips and straps and safety what have pins you. and so we started to my partner and I started to um, buy uh, army surplus stuff and have it you know have it Ripped. done up with with zips and straps and so on but really my art wasn't really in it you know and um because basically we were a bit too old to be punks but yeah. we were still into that look but don't forget i mean vivian westwood and malcolm mclaren i suppose would be the two icons oh totally yeah and it, yeah. All, it also just flared and went away didn't it i mean punk was a two or three year yeah thing. well no no it, it, uh, yeah and we we tried to sort of capitalize on it so we took on this shop in Covent Garden. Covent Garden at that time was a, was a fruit and veg market and that got relocated to Vauxhall mm -hmm. and so there was all these empty premises and we took on a shuttered shop in there and I designed the interior of it and we yeah. called this shop PX and um, we started to sell like German leather coats and riding boots yeah. and all black shirts. It was a bit, a bit of a fascistic look. Yeah. It got a lot of press and it was it did did rather well, but my heart really wasn't in being a shopkeeper. Besides, I've got this warehouse full of stuff up in Leicester, this dead stock that I was trying to get rid yeah. of. So I went back on the road and myself and my partner, you know, doing Portobello Road and, you know, desperately just trying to sell stuff off. Stuff, yeah. And we had all this 60 stuff on Portobello Road one day and this guy came by he was looking for 60s stuff because they were just about to start a movie um, which was set in the 60s and it was about mods right. and um, could we supply them cut a long story short we got a you know that was on the saturday by monday morning we got a contract to supply this movie called quadrophenia it was mm -hmm. going to be financed by the who and it was all about mods and we got to be um uh, the suppliers and also the uh, uh, like consultants on it Great. because we you know they Nobody else was really that involved with the, the movement. And, um, you know, one of the first things they asked for was parkers. And we said, yeah, no problem. Yeah, we can get 150 parkers. What was great was we were able to sell everything to them. And yeah. we wanted to get rid of it. They wanted to buy it because they thought it was all going to get trashed in the fights. And, oh, you know, right. in Brighton and, right. in you know, people are going to be jumping in the sea and yeah. so on suited us fine you know we'll have, we'll take the money thank you anyway so they they put an order in for 150 parkers no problem said i got ringing around my surplus dealers and stuff well yes we can supply you with the with the shells but not the hoods oh they need the hoods because the government in their wisdom had brought out a new ruling where any military clothing that was sold in army navy stores at that time could not look like the original garment so mm. it had to be stripped of any patches and insignia. Uh, regalia yeah. insignia and the hoods were removed so after much research i discovered that the hoods had all made their way to belgium and there was a dealer in belgium who got all the hoods there was various Dealers here, that was then. his livelihood. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We will pause for that joke. <laughs> um, anyway, to cut a long story short, I managed to get together 
probably around a hundred parkers from here and the hoods from abroad. Distant back. And we got we got these ladies to sew them all back together. And, and let me uh, guess, at the end of the movie, you said, "Can I buy them back off you for?" A, a well, not exactly. Two cents in the dollar. <laughs> but what did happen was that the producers said, "What are you going to do now?" That at the end of the movie. And I said, well, we're just going to kind of go about, uh, you know, buying and selling. He said, well, why don't you buy back yeah. the stuff that didn't get trashed? Yeah. And we can let you have it at, you know, half price or yeah, whatever. I was say. And um, maybe you should start a hire company. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about hiring. I mean, what, you know. But he, he, he was convinced that, that, that Quadrophy was going to be a massive success. There was going to be loads of movies made about youth culture yeah. and so on and so forth. We might as well buy them back anyway if we can get them at a good price. And you know, we, and th at that time there was a, a growing interest in this, you know, mod revival yeah, and so on. I would have been, so yeah. we thought we'd be able to kind of sell them to young up and coming mods. So we decided to form this company to supply film and TV after a bit of research and called it a contemporary wardrobe collection. and. Um, sent out flyers and information to all the film companies and TV companies, Every, you know, yeah. everywhere you could think of, nothing. They didn't even get a response, nothing. Yeah. So we basically just went back on the road buying and selling. And, and then one day, this friend of mine called me up very excitedly. He said, oh, I've just been having a drink with Vivian Westwood on the King's Road. This was like 1979. And he said, they're just about to close their punk store down, Seditionaries, and change it into a new romantic pirate, yeah, tannical sort of yeah, 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 store. Yeah. And she'd love what I'd done with the PX store, the design of that. And was I interested in meeting with them to talk about designing a shop for them? Great. Well, said I, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, within a couple of days, I met up with her and Malcolm McLaren, and we spent the day brainstorming mm. and um, came up with this idea of this uh, uh, crazy shop that was like the deck of lilting deck of a ship, and you know, with a clock going backwards, like it was in a belfry or something, and and it was going to be called World's End, right? And it's still there to uh, on the on the King's Road today. Yeah. So yeah, so I got the contract to do that, built the shop, and did then... Come, did you come across a guy called John Whelans, who was an architect around that I time? I did, no, John Whelans, well, how do I he know He designed one of those, there was another big shop of store at that time. Wasn't he, he involved with Mr. Freedom? Mr. Freedom, that's the yes, one. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, indeed, yeah. He was an ex-previous guest, he's a painter now, he's an artist. Right, yeah, yeah. right, okay, okay, yes. Anyway, so this, by this time, another friend of ours, who was a writer, was absolutely astonished that uh, we weren't doing a more business hiring closeout. So she said, I'm going to write a piece about it and I'm going to punt it around and get you guys known, you know. So right. she wrote this piece and she submitted it to the Sunday Times and they accepted it and we got five page feature in the Sunday Times. Wow. From that moment, the phone slowly started to ring. Right. Mostly with photographers yeah. wanting to sort of recreate a little book jacket or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know. But then I did another shot, 1981, for Westwood and McLaren. Mm -hmm. This was called Nostalgia of Mud. And that was in, based in St. Christopher's Place. I think it was at that shop. I met this young film director 
called Julian Temple, who just made a film about the uh, Sex Pistols called The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. Yeah, famous film. And he was very excited. He, he just signed with a production company to make music videos. Right. And I was you know, asking him about... Coming thing that yeah, no one what, saw, what yeah. music video? Yeah. He said, oh, you know, they're like... MTV and, was uh, launching. Well, that's right, yeah. And um, was I interested in working with him, doing the clothes and doing the sets and, you know... Well, why not? I'm, it, yeah, it's okay, fine. So I jumped in head first again, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. not knowing what I was doing, but somehow managed to work it out. Did you ever nearly go bust? No. I did actually, yeah. yeah. A bit later on, yeah. Yeah, very nearly went bust. That was during the recession in the 80s? That was it? in the recession in the 80s, exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah. It was, and um, everyone nearly went bust then, I think. Because actually, I, I'm, I'm looking at your career just as we talk about it, and you're just going, yeah, I'll do that, and it works. And, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. do that, and it works. And, oh, you could try that, and it works. <laughs> oh, I was no. wondering if there was a hurdle you knocked on. No, the there way. was. No, yeah, definitely, yeah. 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 And I, I try, I've always tried to keep my overhead sort of pretty reasonably low. Yeah. But uh, yes, there was there was a... Uh, yeah, in fact, we... It was, what would it be, 85 or 86 yeah, or Yeah, that's when I was going like starting trying to get work in Dublin, which was... Oh, it was really tough. Yeah. time. I mean, up until that time... I was doing back-to-back music videos. Yeah. I got involved Jack, with Michael movies. Jackson and doing and everybody that. under the sun. They yeah. Never did do Michael Jackson, as right. it happened. But, right. you know, the Stones, Bowie, yeah. you know, everybody. I mean, we still do movies and we still do, you know, TV commercials and sh- photographic shoots. But mostly it's gone full circle and it's now fashion again. It's all the fashion houses come here from the lowest top shop yeah. hennies through to the highest you know louis vuitton yves yeah. Laurent, etc they come here to get Gucci. inspiration they come here to get inspiration i hope we charge them to come in the door we do uh, indeed yeah uh, they come uh, they and they take stuff away and they take photographs take uh, patterns off them look yeah. at them and so on but yeah there, there have been some downtime and john whelan's is, mar- is married to uh, natalie gibson Oh, she the was famous a she textile was a, designer. Yeah, that's did, right. Yeah, the Mary yeah. Quantum, that That's sort of right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, she's still going strong in Central Saint Martin. Really? Yeah. Wow. Great, like purple hair and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a small world. I know. Yeah. There must have been an impact in the giant that grew out of Asia: cheaper, faster, less quality, copycats, all this kind of stuff. Did that affect your business, or? Um, well, hiring-wise, not really, because I always sort of, um, I was very interested in copies. You know, I went through a whole period of just getting kind of designer rip-offs from, you know, yeah. Hong Kong and those, yeah. you know, in India and so on. And so I got very excited about those. A lot of that was kind of, you know. Frowned upon. Frowned upon and yeah. stopped by the bigger, bigger companies. I mean, I worked out um, there. I worked in China for two years. Oh, really? And I yeah. In Thailand and I was out in Asia, all over Asia. Right, right, right. And it was great because, you know, you go to Hong Kong back in the day and there'd be, um, you know, you had three kind of types of fakes. You had you had the fakes where they spelt the name wrong. Right? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Which were just yeah. no, no. But there was a huge market for them in Asia because they didn't realize the name was spelled That's wrong. That's right. Then you had the sort of good... Name spelled right copies, but poor quality. Yeah. You can see the glue on the handbag yeah. and stuff. Like that. Yeah. And then you had kind of some sort of out of the back of the factory copies. 
which was a thing. It was a black market. Oops, a, th- yeah. a box just fell out and someone's got them in a market yeah, and they're charging. Yeah, yeah. And they charged quite a lot for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was a girl called Annie in Hong Kong market who had a fake stand in, in Mong Kok. And you, you, you go over to her, but you had to sort of say, she wasn't there, but there was a guy there. And you say, I, I'm, I'm coming to, to, to uh, is Annie here? And if you said, is Annie here? Yeah. You go through the back and out the back car park and across the street and down the road and into a, into, into a, uh, a high rise and you go up to the 28th floor yeah. and there's two apartments that have been knocked into each other and you walk in and it's Aladdin's cave yeah. full of these yeah. things, you know, yeah. Yeah. that are actually back of a lorry kind of thing. Absolutely. And very yeah. good quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah we, we sort of mastered that when, when yeah. we were there with yeah. gas. But I love all that, you know, all that kind of um, discovering things yeah. that are in the, in, in the back rooms of places. I remember doing a film in, um, in New York in the, <laughs> in the 90s, a film called Hackers. One of the cast, uh, Wendell Pierce, uh, uh, we, we shared the same love of jazz music yeah. and um, he said you like jazz I'll, we'll, I'll take you to some interesting haunts you know right. and I remember you know this down on the Lower East Side going going through this like kebab store yeah. through a door at the back of this yeah. kebab store downstairs downstairs through into the down kitchen along, I know the one through the yeah. you know and like into into this wonderment of kind of I know speakeasy kind of thing yeah it was just yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's quite famous. I mean, there's a, there was a load of those when I was living in New York. I lived there for seven, uh, five years or six years, and it yeah. was there was there was a load of those uh, places. They were all cool and whiskey now is the sort of thing to drink and all that. Yeah, so really, yeah, everything's circular. The the, um, the one of the things I want to talk to you about is 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 there? Well, let's just arbitrarily say the last ten years or probably a bit longer, and moving forward, I don't see ready cliques of fashion as much as I did. Is that fair or not? Yeah, no, I think it is It is very fair, yes. Um, it, it's, it's like a, it's a, blancmange, it's just kind of yeah. beige, yeah. chinos. Yeah. Know, there's, no, there's, no, well, there's certainly no anarchy. Oh, no, no, absolutely anymore. not. No, it, it, I mean, that's the reason I finished my book in you know, 1980 with the, with, the, with the punk thing finishing. Yeah. I think... There are several reasons for this mm. homogenized you look, know, yeah. look that's out there now. And one of the reasons was um, w- with those with those so-called style magazines like uh, The Face, Face yeah, and yeah. ID and Blitz that came along in 1980, championed this whole kind of revolution. What punk had kind of open the doors for uh, this romantic new wave where basically you could dress what in whatever you wanted to be as long as you, you were dressing in something and being yeah. somebody you know it was it was really promoted there were so many different kinds of music and so on and so forth however as time went on they were running out of ideas and there was nobody left to exploit so they started these stupid barometers yeah. saying what's cool you know what's, what's in and what's out and so on and done, i think it's by got, some bell end in the newspaper who hasn't a clue probably. exactly yeah, and, yeah. and i think i think he's got really kind of confused by this yeah. thing and it's just like well you know i'm really into this look but they're saying it's out and yeah. so on and so forth i think they formed their own kind of death knell basically yeah. certainly the face but i mean yeah. they got a bit obsessed with that whole yeah. what's in and what's out then along comes the internet yeah 
and all of a sudden you can be anything you want to be mm. there's nothing to shock anymore you, yeah. you know there's no your parents are not shocked by anything they've seen it all I don't know. And the younger generation, you know, have are starting to realise that we're leaving the planet in a fucking mess for them. Yeah. And they're going to have much more pressing priorities Absolutely. than what clobber yeah, they're yeah, putting yeah, on yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. about sustainability? Is that something that you're feeling in the business at all? Like that this idea that, you know, uh, reducing consumer spending, stop, stop blowing money on stupid shoes and fashion, or, is, or will that always be there to a certain I th- extent? Oh God, I don't know. I mean, they say they say it's uh, well, it, it's been it's an all time high, isn't it? You know, mm. I mean, with I mean, and sadly because of the uh, the you know places like Primark and places that are just churning the stuff yeah, out. Yeah. So, I mean. I don't know. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, you know, you valued your clothing. Yeah. You know, you really kind of, you invested in it. Mm. Yes, there was the always the kind of fast turnover boutiques, you know, that were churning it out and you were encouraged to buy something new every week and it was, you know, worn out and you only wore it once and so on and so forth. And And much of my collection is based on that actually yeah. you know stuff that should have been thrown away should have worn out yeah but i've managed to preserve it somehow and that's what interests me rather than the sort of better made designer stuff but today it it's just it, everything is so disposable it's uh so in, in a way i think i'm uh, i you know my, my my collection is doing a real service by it keeps being recycled in itself. Yeah. It's not, you know, I'm not throwing it away. I'm not selling it. And it's become a historical archive now yeah. that, that is, is getting used by uh, museums. And, and being housed yeah. in this wonderful listed building, which indeed, is very important indeed. as well. Yes, you know, indeed, it's very important. Yeah, yeah, very important. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was the movie then that you have your most pride in? In terms of when you look at it and go, I really got that right. Was there anyone that really stands out for you? Well, you know, it's actually hackers. After all these years, yeah. I regularly get emails from people saying, you want to look at Oh that. my God, you did hackers. It yeah. was it was such an inspiration. In fact, this, this week, I got a, an email from um, a lady in Queensland. Yeah. And she said, when I saw that film, I'd never seen anything like it in, you know, a little town in, in Australia. It blew my mind. She I'm said. gonna have to rewatch it now and just and, think about um, the clothing. And it, it was mostly because I'd uh, the they didn't have a massive budget for mm. the clothing. They wanted it to be sort of now, but slightly in the future, but sort of recognisable. But and I was sent on a on a recce to go and look at hackers in New York because mm. that was when they, they were all kind of based these hacker sort yeah. of conferences and so. And they were the most boring bunch of know, characters yeah, you could ever wish to see. So I've got to do something about this. And so I started to go around the East Village and, you know, some of the clubs and stuff around there and look at kids who were into dressing up. And I mixed it with a bit of punk and a bit of 70s and a yeah. bit of 80s and a bit of 50s and mixed them all up. Somehow gave it a look. Everybody seemed to love it, and uh, and of course, it, you know, it was obviously it was Angelina Jolie, one of Angelina yeah. Jolie's first films, yeah. and Johnny Lee Miller, and so on and so forth. But somehow, it seems to have resonated with that and it stayed, uh, generation. Yeah. And um, there's so much so 
this group in, in America started a website called Hackers Curator, and they've interviewed pretty much everybody that was involved wow. with that film. Photo- they, they've sent photographers here to photograph the clothes because right. they still have a lot of them in the collection. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, photograph them inside out and so on. And, and there's there's regular kind of uh, screenings of it at the Prince yeah, Charles and so on. Yeah, and I did a bit of a, a talk last year Great. there. And, and it's just wonderful. It's like a... I don't know, it, it, it never seems to die, that movie. And also Quadrophenia, which is yeah. you know, great and as well. You know. An iconic yeah. legend. Yeah. So away from all what you do as your day-to-day, and we talked earlier about you know your idyllic uh, memories of your childhood, where, where do you see Britain today? I mean, where the division, the, the thing, do you think it's a real thing? Do you think Britain will get over it? How do you feel about it all? I think, I think we will get over it, actually. I mean, I very um, feel like I've been sort of drowned in... Brexit. Yeah. It, it, it's. I can actually feel because I come over and back. Yeah. And I can feel this visit. Just get the fucking thing off the oh, table. Oh, like Jesus! People are, I mean, both I, sides are just fucking sick of it. Exactly. Thing, you know? I mean, I really, really don't care. That's the first happens. time I felt that though. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Before yeah, sure, I felt sure. there was still a kind of a, a debate to be had. There's oh no! Like, totally. Yeah. It's all like you know. We just kind of like running around like headless chickens yeah. and yeah I'm, I'm afraid Boris is a you know the king of the headless chickens yeah, in I my know. book Same here, yeah. but it, it, it but whatever you know let's just get this goddamn thing over yeah. and severed and get on with our lives I mean I don't yes of course it's going to have a, an effect but who knows you know we survived bloody World War Two. I was just going to say that about you know, as an Irishman and you know we have our problems with you guys but yeah, you know, I, sure. I would say Whatever it is, Britain has come through worse. Absolutely. You know? I mean, we're, we're a, an island, for God's sake. Yeah, we can take care yeah. of ourselves. It's not like... I mean, I do. My, my personal thing is, I, I think Europe will be the worse for not having Britain in it. And I think so Britain will I, be the worse for not being part of Europe. And I think that the way to save the planet is that we stop becoming nations and start becoming a human species. Absolutely. And we start looking after Indeed. other species of yes. human who are not so well off as ourselves or starving. Totally. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and we fix the bloody climate thing and we stop yeah. giving all our money to big corporations just so that some rich people can blow Absolutely. it up cigars. Yeah. You know? and yeah, I think yeah, that's, yeah. That is a movement, I think, that is rumbling to a cinema oh, near you very totally, quickly, totally. possibly with yeah. pitchforks and burning things. Yeah. But... Um, what would you say, this is my last question, I ask it to a lot of my guests, what would you say to the young boy who was only earning two pounds a week on a farm, if you go back and talk in it, into his ear and give him a bit of advice, what would you say to him? Follow your dream, just, just be strong and confident in your own self and just get out there and do what you want to do. Don't, you know, life's very short. I'm beginning to realize that very rapidly now. I'm, you know, I just was 70 last week and it's yeah. just like, holy shit, where did it all uh, go? I'm 51 in July and I'm like, <laughs> and all these people are going, oh, 70s, the new 60, and 50s, the new time. I'm going, no, no it's, it's not. not. No, it's not. But um, I am, you know, so unbelievably fortunate in, in being able to have done what I wanted to do. Yeah. 
pretty much all of my life. And um, they'll carry you out of here in a box, won't they? You'll keep going all well, the way. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and I'm I'm not going to give up now. No. Even you know, just on principle, I'm not no, going exactly. to. I'm not going to leave this place. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's yeah, just you've just got to kind of stick with your own dream and just get out there, whatever your dream may be, just fulfill it. Well, keep following your dream. Yeah. Thanks for being on my, my show. My pleasure. Thank you. Love that. Ciao.